Today for the full hour, Petra Davis Johnson, an Orange County educator, will speak about her national award as a student activities director and a teacher. This has been a rough patch for folks in her business, and the consideration she gives middle school and high school students makes a pretty solid case for how she earned that National Student Council Award. We'll be right back with her after a station break. Welcome back to the show. My guest for the full hour is Petra Davis Johnson, Las Flores Middle School teacher, recently awarded the 2021 National Middle Level Student Council Warren E. Scholl Middle Level Advisor of the Year by the National Student Council. Like all educators, she has much to take stock of. Maybe she has even a bit more with her roles that we'll talk about. Petra developed the original associated student body program at Las Flores Middle School, guiding her students' growth and helping them build their capacity as leaders on campus. She was also recently recognized by the California Association of Directors of Activities as a middle school activities director. She is herself a product of Orange County, attended schools in the Orange and Tustin Unified School District. She completed her bachelor's of science in biology at UCI, spent a year abroad at the University of Birmingham, United Kingdom, and then earned her teaching credential and master's in educational administration from Cal State University Fullerton. Petra has been teaching for 30 years in the Capistrano Unified School District, 24 of which have been in advising student activities. And she has taught the seventh and eighth grade science levels at Las Flores Middle School, and now is this last year a Tesoro High School teacher. I hosted Petra along with two of her science teacher colleagues on Real People of OC almost four years ago. She comes to us today from her home in Tustin, Welcome to Ask a Leader and back to Radio KUCI, Petra Davis-Johnson. Thank you, Claudia. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. We're recording this in case there's breaking news, folks, on May 29th. Well, first, congratulations on being recognized for your work advising middle school students. Your commendation from the National Association of Secondary School Principals that your commendation from the National Association of Secondary School Principals, I'm quoting, that you, quote, worked to extend beyond the traditional boundaries of school, allowing for her students to better understand how to be civically engaged and how to find their voices through activities and service, end of quote. And you awardees, I would think for this year, Petra, you deserve an asterisk, if not a bolder (laughs) font, for getting your students through a pandemic, social upheaval, on top of all the other challenges that young adolescents face. So first, let's talk about your award and then a little bit more, a whole lot more about the role that activities directors play in shaping the culture of the school. So talk about your award first, what it means to you, what they were looking for. And did, did you know that you were submitted for this award? Well, I found out last April, I believe it was April when um, we were just in the beginnings of the pandemic and 
we had all been basically sent home. Um, still remember the day, March 13th, being told we weren't coming back. Um, originally it was for two weeks and then, you know, that extended until now, pretty much. So I was told that I was the recipient of the Warren Schull Award from CATA, which you referenced earlier, which is the California Association for Directors of Activities, which is a, a huge group in California of activities directors. And we actually have members from other states as well, because it's, we're one of the only organizations nationwide um, for activities directors. And it's one of the highest honors in our organization to receive this award. So they had awarded me the Warren Scholl Award for, and it said for 2021, I was received, I found notification in 2020 um, based on my work in 2020, uh, I guess, 2019, 2020. And then I was recognized officially at our conference, our annual conference this past February. And with that recognition, um, there was an application process to go to a regional. So it's multiple steps, kind of like, you know, the Miss America, Miss Universe, um, you win, you, you, you get your state and then you go to the region and then you get the whole thing. So I applied for the regional and uh, submitted my application and I won the region, which I believe covers California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Nevada, Utah. I think there's another state in there somewhere. And then once I, I found out it was regional and that was, that was, I couldn't believe that. And just a few weeks ago, um, I was uh, called into a Zoom meeting with um, my principal under the guise of talking about graduation coming up and I was awarded the national middle school teacher, which felt odd to me because in the midst of all of this, I went from middle school to high school in the, during all of this time, but it's just, it was amazing. Still can't believe it. Um, and so honored to have received this award from, from other activities directors. It, it means an awful lot. So it's wonderful with all of those plan books you filled out and all of those sorts of activity, I, I don't know, chart boards and whiteboards and <laughs> clipboards and all that, that, that people were paying attention. I don't know, are there, are there parents that weigh in to get you towards this award? Are they students? Are they colleagues? Is it everybody that has something to do with this acknowledgement, Petra? It's really important to know who's paying um, attention. Well, I, from what I understand in the process, the CATA board of directors, that they nominate from their perspective, uh, one of their members of CATA um, for recognition at the middle school level and at the high school level. And then when that is received, like I, like I received that, I filled out the application that goes along with the NASC, which is the National Association of Student Councils. And there I had a student write a recommendation um, and my principal um, also wrote a letter of recommendation. And I, there was one other, been a while since I did that, did the application. Right, but I'm just trying to capture like who yeah. is, who's it noticing is, all this work you've been putting into the students' well, development? I guess, I guess apparently more than I thought had been noticing. <laughs> Oh, wow. You know, I mean, I think, I think as activities directors, we just, we do it for the love of the kids and love of the school and, you know, want to put on a, have a 
a culture in our in, in our schools that's accepting and and wanting kids to feel like they have a place and so you know it's great when we when it's recognized um, a lot of times we only hear when things have gone wrong or someone's upset about something but so it's always when you get the accolades it's it's extra special so this makes me think of when I did an interview which was just last week with the UCI School of Education professor that is researching the pedagogy of ethnic studies. And it makes me think that because of the, the dividends she's able to gauge in pilot studies, that I'm wondering if you we're gonna have you talk a little bit, a lot about how the, the, what the role of the activities director plays in shaping the culture of the school, but also where students that are recognized in those activities that developing those roles that mm-hmm. they are going to have a an up, there's a an uptick in their own academic performance. They were found to be act effective in those kinds of roles. Yes, there there's um, actually studies that show that the more engaged students are in in school outside outside just their academic area, but whether it's in sports and clubs, in music, you know, in drama electives, the more engaged they are, the the more successful that they that they are outside of high school, you know, be in college and beyond. So I always think that's important to have the offerings. Um, it's not just coming from the activities director themselves, but from the school itself. The more right that we can engage our students in in activities that actually um, give them a sense of belonging and a sense of connection um, to something beyond themselves. It, it, you know, it does pay dividends um, for them in their future. But I mean, maybe even more immediately, is there, have you seen that there's there's an increase, an improvement of grades as they develop their roles? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. You know, a lot of it is, is relationship building um, with the people that are running their programs, whether right. the club advisor or their classroom teacher or myself as an activities director. The, that social emotional portion um, that has become so critical, especially we're seeing that how important that is in the midst of all this, the pandemic, Um, having those relationship buildings that immediately, as soon as people, as students understand that there are people who really do care about them, care about their future, care about what lies ahead for them. um, A lot of times you will see an improvement. And, you know, I I'm in a school where we have majority of the students are high academically prepared performing they just are but they're that's part of the culture that's just part of our cult that's part of our culture but you know we do have those students that struggle and students struggle to make connection to the material that they're trying to learn because it doesn't make sense to them or they don't see the the worth in it but when they see that that other adults see their worth and fight for them um you do see them start to improve so, so talk more about how though your role as an activity director is shaping the culture of the school. We're talking generally about improved academic performance. And so maybe there's that the, the culture being how students see them in, in the world out there, what, how they identify, what, what sorts of rituals, what, what aspects of culture have meaning to them as students at the school. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, um, majority of my experience obviously has been at the middle school. Um, and I will say this, that, um, and I, and I will address it from a middle school perspective, yes. but the, I, but I've been fortunate, um, in that having changed positions from middle school activities, you know, middle school teacher and activities director to a, a full-time high school activities director. I'm in a fortunate position in, in that the school that I moved to is my feeder school. So all the students that I had previously at the middle school are now attending the high school. So I gotten to see how they've, de- how they developed as leaders. So um, just a, a quick example, I have, I have a student this year in my, in high school, she's a senior and I have known her since she was probably in sixth grade, seventh grade. And she was in my program um, in middle school and now in my program in high school. And to see um, the poise, the articulation, the, um, the drive, you know, and they're all getting ready to, they've all accepted their been accepted to colleges and to see where they're leading. That's just been, I just have to kind of put this in perspective first before I get to the culture part, but I've really, I've, I'm in a unique position that I've gotten to see how they've grown. I, I, I literally, I'm, I'm not waiting for them to come back and talk to me in you know, in the middle school um, I'm, I'm in the classroom with them and I'm writing their letters of recommendation for college and, and getting to see um, what clubs are involved in, what their community service is like. Just, it's been amazing to see the growth in these students. Well, that's uh, really, you're in a very remarkable position to telegraph to those admissions offices what you've seen over such a large continuum. That's, that's yeah. amazingly valuable. Yeah, and that's, and that's been what's fun. Um, the student I was talking about, um, one of her passions is, and, and this is kind of goes to, a question that you had earlier about their, you know, their, their civic engagement. One of her largest passions is um, helping women who are victims of human trafficking. You know, this is, uh, you know, a 17, 18 year old girl who started a club on campus um, that they do volunteer hours at a shelter for women who are victims of of, uh, human trafficking. Near the school Um, district or they far um, flung? It's not far flung. It's okay. it, it, it's within the within the area within the within Orange County. Um, I'm you know I, I keep it. it I, I don't want to say the name because I no. I, but I just mean so that it. it's not like an exotic out there. It's places no. that they could easily overlap. The school district oh. could easily overlap where that trafficking oh, may have occurred. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then you know I have other students. Another student who just got accepted. At, at Boise State, who I've known again since she was in sixth grade, and and she's going into elementary teaching. That's what she wants to do. Um, I have you know others who want, are studying to be EMTs. It's just it's, but they're all everything that they're going towards is giving back. Um, that's you know that that they're giving back to not necessarily their community, but that, but when they are out of school again, what they're going to be doing is giving back to society. And that's just been, like I said, it's, it, I've been very blessed in that. I get to see that progression of their growth. Um, and I haven't seen a lot of them, you know, for like three years. Um, so coming in this year to see that is, it's just been amazing, but going back to like school culture and activities, especially at the middle school level, when, 
it's such a time, middle school is such a, a, a different time for kids because they're not, they're not the little kids anymore in elementary school. They're not the big kids in high school. They're just, I sometimes call them a walking, walking hormone because they their hormones fluctuate so much. They're, they're childlike at sometimes, and they just want to be uh, left alone at other times. And, but the, the biggest factor about middle school is that they just want to know that they're normal, that they're, that they're like everybody else. They don't want, no one wants to really stand out and they just want to be accepted. And so being able to offer activities that tap, still tap into their childlike um, wanting to play, but giving them an opportunity to show individual differences and examples would be like having, when we have our dress up days um, at, at school, it sounds really silly, but the kids are always so worried that they're going to be the only ones dressed up, but they want to be wild and they want to be crazy and they want to, they want to show their uniqueness and that middle school is that safe place to kind of be, I think it's challenging because it's also the, the time where everyone is judging one another and they're looking at each other and social media plays an ish, uh, you know, a big role. Well, that's in, a big one. Uh, I want, I would like yeah. to set that as a, that's like a, an entity oh, yeah, we'll talk for about exploration. That. Yeah. I, Cause I have a very specific question about that. So, right. They're, they're, they don't want to, they want to identify with, but not be identified. Exactly. That's exactly it. They, yes, they want to, they want to have a sense of belonging, but they don't want people looking at them. <laughs> yeah. And, that's oh, yeah. Wow. And, and so, you know, I think with middle school, with, with having activities that allow kids to, I think the kids still want to play. They still want to have that, that little kid piece of the playing and, and having fun, you know, just, just having a four square competition at a lunchtime activity brings out the, the kid in them and they have fun and they're laughing. And when they're engaging like that and having such a good time, they get that sense of connection. Um, but when they go back into class and they want to be, you know, they, I guess it's trying to um, bridge that gap from the little kid to their, I'm, I'm ready to become my own person. This middle time, it's, it's just, it's amazing. It's hard. It's hard to sometimes, I guess, I, I just think that, that this middle school time is such a time of emotional growth for students, not only just physical, but the emotional time. And um, I'm glad you're pointing this out, Petra, because it's often uh, when we some of us maybe have moved on and ours are launched or we haven't gotten there yet. It's just it's a reminder of those middle school adolescents in our midst that we ought to be mindful of what you're posting us on. Are there complexities that the, the intersection of their development for those of you who just joined us? My guest is Petra Davis Johnson, formerly and most of her career, Las Flores middle school teacher. She's now at Tesoro High School, the middle school feeder school to that high school. She was recently awarded the 2021 National Middle Level Student Council Warren E. Scholl Middle School Advisor of the Year Award. So talking about the culture and the situation of that, when I, I had the, the privilege of an educator with a place of worship, and mm -hmm. so from that vantage point, she was able to see that in middle school during this pandemic, students were, because you were talking a little bit about the social mm -hmm. media aspect, she said 
middle schoolers were doing a little bit better during a pandemic stay in place order because they were not subjected to the bullying dynamic at that point. <laughs> but so maybe talk about what it's been like for your students to navigate the protocols of this. I'm not aware of whether Las Flores has been in a partial, uh, you know, a, or a, a virtual kind of teaching setting. Right. Well, our district, Capistrano Unified, um, has been with students in classes since October. All right. So yeah. We started. We started back at school with uh, students in a hybrid model. Um, so some students online, and then those students that were coming into school for two days a week, we started that in October. And then most recently, April, we had students back uh, four days a week. Our Mondays are um, virtual um, district-wide. So students are on uh, online no matter what, um, just on Mondays. But then the rest of us have been back since, like, yes, yeah, since October. So it's interesting with, when you talk about the social thing, uh, social media, it's a, there's such a good use for it when in, in terms of an, an activities program, it's also can, it could be your best friend. It could be your worst enemy when it comes to social media. Speaking from my point of view, from a high school point of view right now, we use social media quite a bit, getting information out to students, talking about when we're, when we are fully online or when we have students online and at school, um, talking about student activities and how to get students involved, still be involved um, even when they are online, we, we did a lot of posting through social media. And so that's where it's useful. And that's useful at the, at the middle school level too. I didn't use it quite as extensively in middle school as I have been this year. And maybe that's to my regret, I think a little bit. I think I, think I was a little too worried about the negativity that could have happened, but there are ways around it. There, there, there's ways to combat negativity on social media. Really? Um, Can you give me yeah. a quick one? Can, give us a quick well, one. Well, it, it, and that kind of goes to your culture of your school. Um, but it's giving those, giving students, like, for example, the social media platforms that we use on, on our campus um, and here in high school are run the class, like freshman, sophomore, junior, senior Instagram pages are run by my student leaders. And they monitor any information that goes on that. They, they're doing posting through that. And if anything negative does come up, first thing they do is they usually contact me um, to let me know if something inappropriate or, and they're really good about deleting it right away. If it's something that needs attention for an administrator, they'll, they'll let me know. This year has, we haven't seen as, I guess, as much negativity as could have happened on a normal school year. But the students can also use Instagram as a good gauge of what of, of their activities. If, if kids are in, on social media and they are saying something negative about the school or about an activity, um, it's a good point of life for you. Yeah, well, it's a it's a flag and it's, and it's evidence that you use it as, as I'm, I'm a science teacher at heart. Right. So you can use it as evidence to find out, you know, why is this just an anomaly? Is this just someone who was upset about something or is this, are we seeing, you know, negative posts because our activities aren't doing so hot? What can we do to adjust that? So using, using those, that as um, a springboard to improve your program. 
from a middle school point of view, a lot of discipline comes because someone posted something mean and negative on social media and it just kind of, it kind of can snowball. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's, and I think that's because kids react emotionally um, and they feel the need to respond immediately to something that's negative or inappropriate rather than stop, wait, try to, um, you know, engage and get, don't engage with it, but at least let, you know, someone, an adult know what's going on. I just think there's certain ways of dealing with social media that comes with maturity. And, um, I have a, have a friend who started a group and they, it's called, um, I can help. And their sole focus is looking at, um, removing negativity from social media. And so, um, I, I do use a lot of the lessons um, at middle school. I use a lot of the lessons that their group provides to help help students figure out how to deal with, with instances of negativity, whether it's on social media or other, other places. Is there a link for that that I can put in the podcast summary? Um, yeah, I can send it to you. So that's part of the pandemic. So that they also had to, they had to learn in a different format so that there are all these adaptations they had to, to undertake mm-hmm. and they they had to sort of figure out how to make keep the vigor academically and socially they're going to figure that out so that that was another sort of a, a wrinkle in adolescent right of passage how did right. you navigate that with them how did they do you, you know, it's been a mixed bag this year. Um, I, I feel I feel for all the students. I, I think, well, let me put this in perspective um, because I, from, a, from high school, and I'll talk about middle school as well. Um, from a high school next year, we were, we we're gonna have only one class that has had an entire year on campus. Our, this year's current junior class is the only class and they'll be our next year seniors who will have had an entire year of school on our campus, mm-hmm. you know, from, from, from August through June. So essentially we're going to start with three freshman classes. Um, and then from a middle school perspective, they're going to have, they won't have any, cause our, our middle schools go from sixth through eighth. Right. So our, our middle schools will not have any students who've had a full year on campus and you kind of count on having for having the older upperclassmen or the older students um, model what how to behave. How do you behave in an assembly? How do you behave out at lunchtime um, at the lunch tables? You know, for middle school, or how do you behave well, coming and table? going to the building? Right? Yeah, yeah. Where where is everything? So it's. You know, in that respect, I think there's going to be a lot of anxiety on the part of kids coming onto campus. Um, like, you know, especially like a, for, for freshmen, how, you know, it's, we have a huge campus compared to where a middle school campus. Um, I know that they are afraid of getting lost or being late or where's the bathroom, where's the drinking fountain. Um, just things that where you could actually ask, you know, someone next to you that looks older, but they may not know either because they haven't spent any time on campus. Um, so I think a lot of the, the norms that kids live by, you know, that just kind of are naturally taught because they're seeing it modeled for them. 
we're going to have to spend some time modeling that as, as a staff modeling for our students. Well, I have a club now. I've got a club ready for you. (laughs) The from screen to campus club. Oh, that's a great one. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And, and just how, and how to engage, Um, you know, it's really interesting going through uh, classrooms because I got a chance to visit a lot of different classrooms and because of the pandemic, when you would normally see really active, engaged classrooms, because of the fact that we're having to have our social distancing and the teachers are having to teach in class and to students online. So it's almost like the, we called it the studio audience versus the at-home audience. Mm-hmm. And teachers are having to, to manage that. There's just not that engage that engagement that you would see outside of the pandemic um it's just i see like it's very i don't know i guess guarded very students are very quiet very we're distracted almost almost, yeah almost to almost to the point of muted and just yeah so i just think that you know as much as everyone's so looking forward to coming back onto campus and having a normal, you know, quote unquote, normal year. I I think that we're going to have a little bit of work to do and getting kids comfortable again and getting staff comfortable again. I think you're downplaying it. It's going to be a ton of work. (laughs) I mean, I know you'll be very competent in this, but I'm just, I don't think anybody listening should should, uh, be, we, we will not be dismissive of the tall order coming your way this fall. Right. You know, and I, and I think it's, it's been interesting um, this year, just watching. And I think any, any teacher listening to this, any, anyone working in a, in a school has felt this at some point this year at, at the end of last year, when we're getting all, we were getting all the accolades of how, I mean, oh my gosh, how tough has your year, you know, you guys do amazing things. You're teaching, you're doing all this online. We didn't know how hard it was to, to teach until we had our kids at home this whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, it hasn't been all beds and roses, you know, all the time. We don't, we're not getting the accolades like we used to. We, we still do, but there, there's a certain expectation of, I think, and I, and I get it. It's the frustration with, with the lockdown and, and the wanting for normalcy again. Um, I think teachers, teachers have taken a lot, a lot this year. And a lot of people, a lot of them have taken it to heart. And it's been a really, it's been a really hard, hard year for, for anyone in education and anyone who's had to work during this pandemic, the way it is. I, I don't, I don't negate it for, you know, I don't downplay it for anybody, but what, what teachers have been able to do this year, it's, it's, it's amazing. And yeah, I, I hope we don't ever have to go through this again. <laughs> For those of you who just joined us, my guest is Petra Davis Johnson, formerly and most of her career, a Las Flores middle school teacher. She's now at Tesoro High School, the middle school feeder school to that high school. She was recently awarded the 2021 National Middle Level Student Council Warren E. Scholl Middle School Advisor of the Year Award. So the Las Flores is situated between Mission Viejo and Cota de Casa in Orange Correct. County. And yeah. I, I want to there's the elephant in the room is there is a cultural divide, especially in South Orange County, about mm. 
signing on to those things that you've been teaching these students in science. And we, we talked, that's when you were on Real mm -hmm. People of Orange County with your two science colleagues in South right. County. And so we didn't even have a vaccination, a pandemic sign on uh, with the curriculum and the, the households that send sure. their students to your classroom. So how has that cultural divide been to negotiate? You're doing it uh, well in the hybrid and virtually and uh, in person. How has that divide been to, to navigate? Um, you know, I guess I, I try really hard not, not to put the kids in the middle of anything. Um, I think I, it's just everyone, everyone's going to have their own opinion about whatever they're going to have an opinion about. Um, and yeah, you know, living our area is much more conservative than that the, where I work is much more conservative than other parts of Orange County in the state. But I think when it comes down to it um, in the long run, everyone's just in it to make sure that the kids we're doing it. What's best for the kids and what's best for the kids from our, from a teaching point of view or what's best from the kids from a parental point of view. Um, I think that's just, I, I, it's just a, a political hot potato that I don't necessarily want to, to poke, <laughs> I guess. It's easy for you not to poke, but when you're poked, now you're in the middle of it though. That's, that's where yeah. it gets. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I know. I understand. And, but I think, you know, as, as an activities person and an employee of, a, of the school and the district, we have guidelines that we have to follow no matter what. We, we, are, we are bound by, you know, especially during this pandemic, we were bound by the California Department of Health and the Orange County um, Health Agency. So whether we agreed about something or disagreed, all of our, our rules are, the way we approach activities, the way we had to approach students in class, um, we're bound by those rules. And, you know, you can agree with them, not agree with them. Um, we, we just have to enforce what we had. And so I, I understand that there's, you know, people that, that don't necessarily agree with a lot, the lockdown, don't agree with the mass mandates, don't agree with the vaccination or, or it's, you cannot agree with it, but we have to, we were bound by what the state is telling us to do as a public school. I know so. that's a huge topic and I want to ask some other questions. So I'll, I will um, respectfully set aside uh, opening up that topic any more than that. And I, it's been covered a lot as well. So yeah. um, I, I'm not sure how much more ground, but we, I wanted certainly to give you a chance to take stock. So we're talking about uh, how, in your commendation, you have been acknowledged as challenging your students mm -hmm. and you call them your leaders and to, to get them to think outside the box when designing activities or brainstorming themes. Mm -hmm. So in what sectors of public life are your students showing interest, like in education, health, sports, law, politics, you know, local, regional, oh. national, where are they? What you niche are they scratching? Oh my gosh. Every, everything you just said, um, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, it was, you know, everyone's going to be a doctor, everyone's going to be a lawyer, but the students now, they, they're just going in amazing places. Um, early education, 
um, high school education, they're going into um, some want to be paramedics, EMTs, others are looking at, um, uh, I, I just had a student uh, recently, I, we were actually friends on Facebook, she's, a, she's been graduated for a long time, but she's now an um, assistant district attorney um, here in California. Um, I have a former student who run, runs nonprofits to help students with their education, uh, students who, who are so economically disadvantaged. So there's just a lot of, they're going in, in all, all areas. It, it's amazing. I, I'm just, I'm always blown away when I hear about students. Um, I have a student right now, um, I should say not right now, I have a student who is, uh, has been a substitute teacher for myself um, and he, and he's now just finished his credential and is applying for teaching high school. And that's, that's just, I, I, there is a plethora of, uh, of places our, our students have gone. <laughs> that's all I can say. So that's a vocational part. So, and let's, let's talk about the, the activities in mm-hmm. real time. What, mm-hmm. I mean, there were lots of things to tack onto there with the, in electoral season, there mm-hmm. was move, movement politics with uh, social and economic justice around mm-hmm. the pandemic, around uh, uh, encounters with the police. And mm-hmm. so what kinds of movement activities did your students seize upon? Um, it's really interesting. We have with, not necessarily my, my ASB students, but students I've seen on campus, we have students who um, started clubs. We have a, a club that started, it was called, they call themselves Generation Inclusive or, or Gen I. And inclusivity was a big, I think a big push, um, recognizing each other's differences and, um, and making sure people of all walks of life are included um, in activities. I think that's, I think that was one struggle uh, that a lot of, I'm kind of diverging a little bit, but I'll come, I'll come. I'll no, that's that. still movement. No, we're in the movement yeah. there. Inclusivity. Um, in yeah. A sense. But I, I think that sometimes that's, that's a struggle for ac- uh, activities programs. When you're looking at getting your student leaders on campus who run the ASB, um, making sure that they are reflective of the demographics of your student body, because sometimes you're, you will have to reach out to, and I, and I try to, I hope, I try, doesn't always work, but um, reach out to those um, non-traditional leaders um, to make sure that you have um, everyone represented within that, that leadership program. Um, and I think it's difficult sometimes because sometimes the, the ASB class is seen as the class where, you know, you have to have an A, you have to, you know, be the popular kid. So reaching out to making sure that you at least give the opportunity to, hey, you know, hey, I, I would really like to see you apply for our program because I think you might, you know, have um, something to offer. So the Generation Inclusive, was mm-hmm. that something hatched from the adult, the, the students or was yes. there a little? Oh, yeah, 
Oh yeah, no, uh, on their own. In, in high school, in high schools, the student clubs are student generated. So it's they have to seek out an, an advisor to oversee, kind of just be there uh, as the adult in the room when they're meeting. But that this is their program. Um, their their wish was to, I think, become more engaged and make sure that, um, to have a bigger presence on campus. We have a True Colors Club, um, which is very similar to the GSA, which is uh, to recognize um, LGBTQ plus issues. So those are two, you know, that they're not, the, the newest one would be our Gen I, um, but inclusivity has been a big push. Um, so I'm not trying to know what the GSA yeah. means. I, I'm from the oh. uh, the Federal Gen- General Services Administration. <laughs> it's Gay Straight Alliance. These are hatched from the high school students themselves. Oh yeah, themselves. yeah, so. students themselves. And and I know there's other like other middle schools. Um, there were GSA clubs as well. My particular middle school, we we were in the process of getting clubs started on campus and before we didn't really the kids weren't all that interested because clubs again are from the interest of the students or you know should should be developed from the interest of the students so our at my particular school most of the interests of the students were being met by you know activities or classes or whatever was done on campus so they didn't see the need for clubs but they were starting to develop when I left okay so do you see now you're already in the high school you can see them now moving into that 18 year old mm-hmm. eligibility of voting but mm-hmm. did you see that the middle schoolers were mm-hmm. finding a role let's say an electoral engagement that i mean they're not eligible to vote but they yeah. are eligible to participate in other ways did they take some of that up um you know not not as much and i think you know, at, at middle school, you do see some civic engagement at, at a middle school level. I didn't see as much where where they were, you know, going to like a, a science march or a women's march, unless they were, um, that was part of what their family did as a, as a unit. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that happening as much at the middle school. You'll see that, I think you see more of that civic engagement coming at the high school where they're, they're starting to, you know, branch out beyond, beyond their home, beyond their own, uh, their, beyond their family unit. Um, but the family is, are going to be the, the biggest factors. Of, and that makes sense what you're describing yeah. though, in the, the world of identifying and not being identified. And we were talking right. about the mm-hmm. sort of there, it's just the, the ballast isn't quite, it's a, it's a, lo, it's a very hyper-local kind of uh, frame of reference, sure. but I, I still was curious about that because yeah. maybe some were finding that was their way to get, to develop something they had, but it, it mm-hmm. would be rare for younger adolescents, I can see. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, were there any other, um, well, I, I do want you to know, I've got, uh, I've got the STEM, uh, the STEM students, we've got their them covered. I have a local American Association of University Women board members that that have the uh, lookout for them. So that we'll make sure we have that connection with the AUW too. Uh-huh. But so for um, the elder generations, mm-hmm. uh, elder from the Gen Z, because that Gen Z is that is the demographic here. From your vantage point, 
Right. Where are the Gen Z students going to take our society? Hmm. Wow. I think, I I think you're going to see, wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm picturing my, I'm, I'm picturing my kids right now and where they are. Um, Well, you've already talked about without naming it, there are some very altruistic sorts of vocational choices they're making. Yeah, I do think, I think they are, I think there's a a greater consciousness of their place in the whole um, and their, their actions, how, how they do affect others. Um, I speaking from, I'm, I have a, I'm a stepmom of, of, of two adults (laughs) and they are in their twenties. Um, you laugh, right? I do. I, I do because they're my, I, I, I would say step kids. I was going to say step kids, but they're my step adults. Okay, that's um, fine. but they're very, I look at, at their view of the world too. When I, when I'm thinking of these high school kids as well, they're very conscious of, of their place, of how, of how their actions affect others or how their actions affect the, the earth, the world. Um, I, and there's part of it, part of me too sees a little bit of, um, I guess, as much as they are aware of their place in the world, I, I think there's just, there's a, a, a dichotomy of how big their world kids, is. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of the kids, um, haven't had the experience of the world yet. I don't think they, I don't, I think they have a a sense of their place here, but I don't know if they've had as much experience out there yet. And I'm, I'm excited for them. Um, especially like as kids graduate, as they're, as they get to experience the world, I'm, I'm excited that they'll have experience outside of their community. Um, I think that having given the opportunity to have experiences outside of their community, their their eyes um, and their viewpoint will will widen quite a bit. So Petra, you're now making me think about the delicate role an activities director may have where you're speaking of this, these the world sizes with mm. these students they're comporting in is you are able to identify where there may be a hovering parental style that Mm -hmm. inhibits what that student in middle school may be aspiring to do. And I don't know if an activities director has a mini lever to sort of intercede in an ever so delicate way to allow for that nurturing of that individual without that encumbering, hovering parental approach. Yeah, you know, it's it's just a delicate balance, I think, um, because you never wanna go against uh, what a parent sees as what's fit for their kid. And, and but you also wanna make sure that a student um, has support and feels support and feels a belonging. So, it's, I, I don't ever, I don't want to say that I'm, that, um, 
trying to, I'm trying to find my, my words here. Um, I think that as long as we offer a place, a place, uh, our campus is a place where students have that, uh, I keep going back to that sense of belonging, that sense of worth, that sense of relationship, that they have a place that they know they can go to that's safe. That I think is the greatest gift that we could give the kids. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. We can all, we all have an I, a view of that at times. And so right. that, that's why it, it is a delicate sort of uh, undertaking. And, so and I, Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, it's, it's just going to come with, with maturity and with opportunity that, that, that and luck. And, yeah. And true and luck um, to have those, those experiences that will broaden their, broaden their perspective, broaden their mindset. And, you know, given the opportunity to go away to college or given the opportunity to travel, you know, I think traveling for, for a lot of our students, um, if having the ability to go outside of California, outside of Orange County, um, to, to, to experience life, um, that's, that, that's going to be their greatest teacher. Um, how about travel to the county seat and north? (laughs) You know, true. I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, just, just a little bit of, I'm, yeah, yeah. Cause sometimes I've actually heard it was a very pithy line from a person who said that the orange curtain doesn't go around Orange County, it goes through it. <laughs> you know, um, I, yes and no. I think it's, it's what it is. <laughs> That's all I can say. It's, it's, I, I'm never, I'm never wanting to impose or try to persuade students to think one way or the other. I think the, the, if you can offer students uh, or build, I should say, if you could help students build their ability, their capacity to articulate their thoughts, their feelings, to um, be able to defend their thoughts and feelings um, and ideas. If you're giving, if you provide them with skills whether you agree or disagree with what they're saying or what they believe in. Um, but if you provide them with skills that allow them to express themselves, and I think that's, that's kind of what we need to be able to do. Yeah, it's just, it's, this is a tricky, it's a tricky place to be. Well, and I'm thinking of one other, full of anecdotes in this interview, is that there <laughs> is one person in tech, a long career in tech, and she was very taken by a non-Caucasian sort of cultural frame reference, a, a mm-hmm. raised a coworker who made it very clear she never left a door unopened. She, this, this coworker was an example to her. So you're talking right. about a student sort of speaking to mm-hmm. something, or, mm-hmm. but that, that gift, that ability always to recognize that's a door and that door needs to be opened. So that's... Yeah. Yeah, as an no, active director, I think you're doing that. 
Yeah, and I think that's true. I think I think um, you know having the ability exactly having the ability to look at opportunities to to take anything um, any opportunity given to you to to make the most of it. And I, as an activities director and with my students um, in classes as ASB as leaders, um, I try to tell them that doing something that's always comfortable isn't always going to be the best thing to bring growth. So you want, you, you want to be a little uncomfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable about where, what you're doing or how you're feeling about something, because in that's, that's, you're uncomfortable for a reason. You got to figure out why that reason is and, um, and, and grow from that with activities. I, I tell the kids, it's okay to fail. On, on an activity, if, if we plan something and it completely bombs, it's okay. As long as you're learning from that opportunity, I can't save you from failure. And that, and I think that of, of anything, that's I, what I try to teach my kids that I, I, I give them the opportunity to fail. And I think that's, and it sounds weird, but in order for them to succeed, let's, let's yeah. end it on that note. Yeah, I, exactly. Petra, Thank you so much for your time and for allowing one more Zoom session in your week. (laughs) You did it. Thank you, Claudia. (laughs) My guest was Petra Davis-Johnson, formerly a veteran of Las Flores Middle School teaching for many years, now a Tesoro High School teacher, recently awarded the 2021 National Middle Level Student Council Warren E. Scholl Middle Level Advisor of the Year. Thanks again. Thank you. Well, that's my wrap. And for next week's show, KUCI Music Director Kate Davidson from the Class of 2021 will give her commencement address. With this round, it's official. It's the second annual Ask a Leader KUCI Graduating Manager delivers a commencement address. Of course, you'll also have lots to take stock of with yours truly. In the second segment, UCI professor Kathleen Traceder returns for an examination of how her career is evolving into increased civic engagement. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. And listeners, I'm going to have, starting in June, a new segment which will be called Inside the 45th. It's going to draw on one of you after the next, what you are thinking about in the run-up to the 2022 midterm election. We're going to have a new look of our map, likely, and I want to hear from one constituent after the next. So you know my email address, cshambaugh at kuci.org, if you would like to join me in that segment, Inside the 45th. Thanks again. Talk with you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody.